Welcome to The Last American Vagabonds. Joining me today, I'm very excited to be discussing this topic with Dr. Peter McCullough, and it's something that we have been diving through the last so many weeks, if not longer, in regard to the, the larger topic of the transgender movement. But more specifically, as you guys have seen, I recently dove into the concept of endocrine disrupting chemicals and, and what that might be causing, in regard to, in, in, specifically in regard to gender dysphoria. And as you remember, we went through this, and there's obviously an interesting connection there. We went over things like glyphosate, dioxins, PFAS, and, and even the COVID-19 injection in particular. So I wanted to invite Dr. Peter McColl on to discuss this and, and the overlaps to a lot of different things and how these things intersect. Thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. Sometimes I feel like I'm the last American vagabond in a, in a post-apocalyptic world like the introduction, but great to be on your show. Great journalism on the vagabond. So happy to be back. And boy, what a hot topic we have. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's nice. Nice to hear that. Well, yeah, I mean, this and it's what's more alarming to me than anything is that how I keep finding that these things kind of intersect, whether we're just talking about generally like issues on reproductivity and infertility or any number of other ways they kind of overlap. So for me, it started with this this kind of discussion of gender dysphoria. And I was interested in how I was realizing that there's this interesting contradiction right the contradiction right now in the community where it started where people were saying well gender dysphoria is why we need to help people and give them treatments because there's a disorder and then at very quickly which is what the community is now saying switched into well that's not true we can pick what we want and there's a concerning issue there when it comes to the things they're doing puberty blockers and what that can cause but so when i started diving into it i also found that these chemicals themselves that go back long before this movement even before covid19 that show that there has been a building problem with these chemicals, endocrine disrupting chemicals that are scientifically being shown to lead to gender dysphoria. So I don't know where you want to start with this, but there's a lot to get into. So well, go ahead. Let, let, let's start at the, the really big level here. This is such an interesting observation. Do you know right now in Russia, Vladimir Putin is trying to get a handle on transgenderism. They're trying to, to ban transgender surgeries in, in, in hormonal therapy in young people because it's popped up as a problem. Hmm. The same thing is true in Indonesia. They're Indonesia. And you go anywhere in the world, Christian, transgenderism has popped up. It's like sprung up organically all over the world. So Americans are actually late. We're actually hmm. late. Usually America leads the world in various trends. Uh, no, this one is different. The, uh, the um, the Dutch had been having transgender clinics now for 15 years, wi widely utilized ones. So they were considered one of the, the leaders. You can, you can find their literature going back. One of the things, a paper that struck my eye by Vander Meesen and colleagues about 15 years ago is that of young people coming forward for transgender surgeries and hormones, 20% of them had clinical autism in the chart. Wow. 20%. And we know that autism is a spectrum. It's a wide spectrum. In fact, there's related disorders, uh, uh, ADD, attention deficit disorder, Tic de la Roe and others, Asperger's. And it's in a grouping of neuropsychiatric disease called essence. They're essence diseases. And, and so that was one observation that I thought was very striking. I said, wait a minute. When I was a kid, uh, the rate of autism was one in 10,000. Now it's one in 36. So there is an epidemic of autism and it is curvilinear straight upward. If something isn't done, you know, we're going to be enveloped in autism before you know it, because it's, it's, it's occurring at much more 
frequent incident rates. Now there's greater detection of it, but it doesn't explain exponential rates. So there's an exponential epidemic of autism. There's an explosion of transgenderism all over the world at the same time. U.S. is actually lagging a little bit. Autism is there. And when we look at the papers that go back and and try to uh, examine this, particularly from autism perspective, since, since the Autism Transgender Association is solid. And let me just finish that association. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a question was asked among those with transgenderism uh, and LGBT, you know, wider than that, if they are given psychometric surveys for autism, and that was done in a paper by Warrior and colleagues published in Nature, they score off the Richter scale for autism. They so. So that paper was convincing 600,000 people in that study. And and to make it more clear that now that there are steps to try to ban transgender programs in the youth in some states, you know who's strongly opposing any of that legislation? They are out there strongly opposing anything that bans transgenderism, and they're strongly promoting transgender medicine. It's the Autism Advocacy Network. So people as adults, they want transgender medicine bad and they're activists. So autism, I think, uh, pl- plays a big uh, role. So j- just on the, the, uh, this autism epidemic for a second, what do we know mm-hmm. there? We know that older adults is a risk factor and then siblings with autism is a risk factor. But that can't explain from one in 10,000 to one in 36. So everything is, everything's on the table. We should have a Manhattan Project right now on is it something in the water supply? Uh, you know, is it the fluoridation of waters, something else, uh, something in the food supply? You mentioned uh, herbicides, glyphosate, as an example. One uh, theory is that it's vitamin A, that there's hypervitaminosis A. There's vitamin A containing um, various uh, baby formulas. There are some children who ate way, ate way too many carrots and they, they turn orange uh, as a theory. Uh, one theory in childhood is actually that it's it's either certain vaccines that's been introduced or hyper vaccination that mm-hmm. is multiplicity. So when I was a kid, uh, again, autism was one in 10,000. Let's just go back to then. We had the oral polio vaccine, diphtheria, pertussis, and tetanus, and then smallpox. There was five things. Now uh, a child today is facing... I think 16 different diseases, 72 shots just before COVID. It's just, it's an absolute intense salvo of vaccines at a very early age. Some of the vaccines are neurotropic. This is important right. to point out. So for instance, rubella is a German measles is a neurotropic virus. And in the sixties, uh, when we had a lot of congenital rubella, I think the rubella vaccine is pretty compelling, by the way, we had 20,000 cases of congenital rubella in the United States were down to like two per year. I mean, so the vaccine, uh, which appropriately should just be for young girls as they approach childbearing years, it doesn't do anything in guys because guys don't really get German measles. It's, um, uh, but although the vaccine has been blanketed to everybody, it's in the MMR, so everybody's gotten it. But what we know is in the 60s, when kids survived pregnancy and had congenital rubella, uh, about 10% of them, had clinical autism. The, the phenotype was autistic. So the, the rubella vaccine today actually is a live attenuated vaccine. It's in the MMR vaccine. So right. could it be the virus itself or neurotropic cytokines, inflammatory factors? But I think one of the, there's about 80 papers now about vaccines and autism. 
the, the thing that's impressed me as an epidemiologist is the vignettes where a child is completely normal. The parents are tracking the milestones. They got experienced parents. They get a big child gets a barrage of vaccines, uh, potentially six to maybe eight different ones all at once, gets sick, has a fever, and then a seizure. Mm-hmm. And then a febrile seizure or a near, a near seizure, some tonic-clonic activity, some jerking. And then afterwards, in the defervescence, the parents notice the child is different. The eyes are not tracking appropriately. Uh, they, 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 they're not suckling the same. The developmental milestones become missed. They develop characteristic hyperacusis where they can have enhanced hearing uh, and take on the, the features of autism or Asperger's. Uh, these vignettes are striking. The literature is loaded with them. Parents listening to this will know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's now I, I, at to several big events, uh, Christian, last Clay Clark, I asked for a show of hands. I said, how many people are touched by autism? It means a family member, someone in their circles, et cetera. A third of people raise their hand. So autism is, is, is that big. Uh, those approaching the transgender, the gender journey, uh, it, it may be the majority. Honestly, it may be. And it explains. So when I was a kid, and you know, especially in the pre-pubertal years, I can't recall a single transgender person. I, I can't. In the 1960s, I, I, I can't recall one. Um, now, uh, you know, estimates are Gen Z that 20% are LGBT, and um, the transgender is uh, becoming, uh, you know, as we saw in the display in the White House now, uh, mainstream. Right. Uh, you know, Biden, it was wide open sexuality. There was bare breasts on the uh, White House lawn. So it, it, it's not just transgenderism. It's not just gender dysphoria, but it's hypersexuality. We're seeing right. it through, through the literature, uh, children being exposed to graphical uh, se- sexual images, uh, drag queens. Uh, and, and so the children, and I think particularly autistic children, may be impressionable and very impressionable and, and, uh, be brought up to the precipice of potentially being suggestible uh, with gender dysphoria. And gender dysphoria, by the way, is common. It means people don't like their gender. I, a lot of times the term gender ambiguity is, is used. What I can tell you as a doctor, I have autistic people in my practice. I have transgender people in my practice. I, you know, I have great diversity, equity, inclusion, because like, we take care of drug abusers and, and, and criminals and fat people and thin people and gay and lesbian, you know, so doctors are very, you know, very um, liberal, I would say, in terms of dealing with people as part of our job. But I can tell you, it's been my observation that, um, that, uh, that a young person with gender ambiguity, the best cure for that is to go through normal puberty, to go through normal puberty, because it's not only puberty, not only changes the external appearance and the genitalia, et cetera, hair patterns, but it actually changes the mind. So normal male puberty makes a male brain. The, the brain is actually not really yet a male brain until we go through puberty. The same thing for a girl to be a, a woman's brain. So all children should go through normal puberty. And what we're seeing now uh, is the use of interrupting that with puberty blockers. These are gonadotropin-releasing hormone agonists that affect the pituitary. And then post-puberty, we're seeing the use, use of androgens or estrogens, which are very disruptive. A recent paper published by Santos and colleagues, this is important, from Portugal, of children who start to take these hormones and young people, 89% get sick. Wow. Because, because remember, they have a normal process in their body. 
So if a normal boy post-puberty has a lot of testosterone, give him estrogens, he's going to get sick. They're going to have mood swings, nausea, vomiting, acne, skin rashes, uh, sleeplessness. Uh, they're absolutely miserable with these hormones. I want the parents to understand that. That's what the published literature shows. Right. And so their body is essentially rejecting that is what that sounds like, right? It's just not natural. Well, I, I want to go back to a couple of points you made about autism, and then we can get into the different parts of that. There, I mean, 89%, that's just absolutely staggering. But you mentioned something about autism from before where you said there was a 10% association prior to the increase. And then I, would you, can you revisit that for me? Because that's really... Like, oh, well, yeah. well, no, the observation was long time ago, children who survived the congenital rubella syndrome, who actually, the mothers got rubella. Remember, when I was born, there was no rubella vaccine. We, we got German measles if it was going around. Uh, but the, the children who survived the mothers who had it, about 10% had clinical autism back then as a right. manifestation of congenital rubella. Well, now the autism that's developing, obviously people aren't getting rubella. They're, they're, they're taking the vaccine, but uh, that the, the, the vaccines probably not individually are associated with autism, but it's hyper vaccination is giving them all at once causing all of these inflammatory factors and cytokines that go into the brain and then evoke the pathophysiology of autism. Right. And that's kind of what I wanted to focus on is it's interesting that so this just kind of rings true with what I was just talking about my show today is that we have these examples historically where so they can tell that the rubella vaccine had this association before it was used in the MMR vaccine. Right. And then we've got the MMR discussion today from people like Del Bigtree in past showing you that there was an association with autism. So there's there was a precedent for it right before it even became MMR. What I think is fascinating and alarming and disgusting at the same time is that maybe you can tell me whether or not this is the case. All these vaccines given to children, even in particular MMR, they're not tested alongside each other, are they? And and that's where the over-vaccination probably comes in and where this is likely a culprit. Is that a fair statement? You know, they don't undergo prospective, double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trials, which is our gold standard. And they should, because not only do they give inferences on efficacy, but also safety. Safety comes first. And uh, you know these vaccines are very lightly tested. For instance, hepatitis B given on the first day of life, uh, there's typically five days of follow-up in these studies. They just measure some antibodies. Uh, many times the antibodies are not a good surrogate for immunity. We know this because modern outbreaks, for instance, of measles, about half the kids are fully vaccinated. Same thing with mumps. Half the kids are fully vaccinated. I recently reviewed Haemophilus influenza serotype B. Um, most of the infections in the United States are non-typable, so the vaccine wouldn't even cover that. But, but of those who got, who got sick, there was only 77 cases in about 10 years. Uh, you know, three quarters of them are fully vaccinated. So I think what's making the diseases go away is not the vaccines, right. but it's improved living conditions, hygiene, water, et cetera. Uh, and what the, um, you know, what the vaccine community has done is, is they've taken their eye off of safety. And now these safety signals have crept in years later. And boy, people are are burning with regret. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's like, we're not allowed to talk about these things. And the assumption is that they're safe without question. But so this is where we get into the overlap to all this, right? So obviously there's a valid concern there and the autism alone, that conversation should be enough to further investigate, to pause. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But now what we're seeing, and, and this is really interesting, especially for my audience. And I didn't know this until today that there's an overlap with gender dysphoria and autism, right? So what else? could be adding to this. So if you, if we can see that we also have the discussion of the endocrine disrupting chemicals that are seemingly ubiquitous around the planet, 
right? So do you think that this is, as you were talking about before, kind of a converging of multiple factors that's causing people to, to question their sexuality and that's being kind of taken advantage of? Is that how you see this playing out? It's true. There's, I mean, what else could be, again, it's, it's, it's either something in the air, water, or food. I mean, you know, environment, because it's neuropsychiatric. That's very important. So the neurological part of it's very important. It just can't be uh, from using cell phones or mm-hmm. it can't be from playing computer games because it wouldn't cause the hyperacusis. It wouldn't cause some of these other neurologic features that we that we see the the ticks and utteral, you know, the the utter the the, the kind of guttural types of uh, audi- uh, you know auditory abnormalities. So it's got to be something organic. Uh, and in the food supply, you bring out the ubiquitous use of hormones, for instance, particularly in chicken. You know, a, a normal chicken that's born from an egg takes about three months to grow up on a, out on a farm. Uh, but when placed in a, uh, you know, in a metal cage and they have lights shine on it uh, 24 by 7, feeding them hormones, it, it, that egg grows up to a full chicken in 30 days. It's very unnatural. And if you ever see a chicken breast, you put it on the barbecue, that's bigger than a man's chicken breast nowadays. They're, they're enormous. Uh, and so hormones coming through the, the food supply, we don't know how many of them are destroyed in the cooking process and the curing process. Um, but it is interesting to note, you know, a child uh, born today in China will be nine inches taller than their grandparents who were wow. born, let's say, yeah, it, it's just it's just incredible. Uh, the, the differences in the human morphology. And what is it? Is it just protein or is it hormones or, or, or something else? People are gradually getting taller. So men are getting taller. If you noticed uh, younger people, Christian, you and I are kind of a little bit on the short side. I don't want to disappoint our audience, but, um, <laughs> uh, but you know, people are growing taller. So the human body is changing. And with these changes, uh, could gender dysphoria be a part of us? Well, certainly hormones in the food supply are there. Uh, vitamin A and glycosphate are, are interesting. You, you know, glycosphate is what's in Roundup. It's a ubiquitous uh, herbicide. And uh, so crops are sprayed with this. And then the crops are genetically engineered to be able to survive the, the Roundup. That, that's, what's, that's what's called a GMO, a genetically modified organism. And so now we have all different types of uh, plants that we eat and food that we eat are genetically modified to survive uh, the um, the herbicide. And so the question on the table is, 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 is it okay? Should we eat these? And no one really knows that many have said, listen, just get rid of the roundup. Let's find some other way to manage the weeds. And, uh, and so we can deal with this. The, the other thing that's going on is, is vaccinating the, um, the meat supply. So what we know there is uh, in, you know, in pigs, in swine, the use of genetic vaccines is going on now since 2017. And Merck has an entire pro- program called the Sequevity Program. This is all in my Substack. Other manufacturers have either DNA or self-replicating RNA vaccines. Uh, and um, you know, many veterinarians think they're completely unnecessary. That you know, the, the swine can be managed with traditional vaccines. But uh, you know, the, the the companies have new products. They want to sell new products, and so the genetic vaccines are used. Uh, there's been no attention to whether or not any of the genetic material gets in humans. Now, with the curing and cooking of pork, it's pretty unlikely that any uh, nucleic acids would survive, uh, you know, informed in RNA or DNA. But the beef supply is something different. And the USRDA has got plenty of programs now with the companies 
changing the standard um, beef get uh, what's considered a um, uh, a core pack, and then uh, for eating the grass, they get a clostridial pack, and then a reproductive pack. They're standard vaccines. Again, there's no problem with the beef supply, but the genetic vaccines are coming. The USRDA has announced this, uh, and then lastly, uh, there has been efforts to directly have plants and other uh, edible forms of, of food actually be loaded with genetic material to vaccinate humans. And so I have this on the substack of, of, you know, the successes that have been done. There are no current produce that are vaccinated, particularly to vaccinate us. So I want to, I don't want to get people, uh, you know, worried right now, but it could be coming. And then watermelon juice and a few other um, forms of plants, they've been able to get the genetic material to cross the human GI tract. So uh, many are pushing right now all over to get transparency legislation, to get it labeled so we know what we're eating right now. A lot of farmers are coming forward saying, listen, we, you know, we don't want to use this stuff. And they want the marketing advantage of being more natural or potentially organic. So uh, uh, the food supply there feeding into gender dysphoria, it's certainly uh, possible. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the hormones, I think you're onto something because I'll tell you the other thing, the kids are growing taller but the onset of puberty is sooner. Right, right. And before we get, since you mentioned it, and I do, I want to get into how this all comes together in, in the conversation of the chemicals. And But so you mentioned that the, the food supply. Now, I recently saw a clip of you discussing this. Can you comment on that for me in regard to whether these are potentially dangerous, like the mRNA or the spike protein? There's a lot, I've got a lot of people reaching out about that in general and your work in particular. So are, are there risks there, whether it's the pork or the beef or anything in regard to the vaccines and the ingredients? Again, we have no assurances. Uh, the U.S. government has not done transference studies. So we can't say anything's absolutely safe. I could tell you about my review, um, uh, you know, I think, the genetic vaccines used in pork are unlikely to have transference into humans. Beef is different because we eat beef a lot more raw. Some countries actually eat completely raw beef. Uh, and, and then, um, and then clearly into plants, it would be a whole different, um, whole different ball game. What we know there is the WHO in 2005 held a conference on edible vaccines and said, if these come forward, the U S FDA should be involved. Right now, the companies are saying, listen, it's not for humans, it's for the animals. So the U.S. FDA doesn't need to be involved. So they're not being policed. And uh, Holly Jones, a representative of Missouri, uh, led a bill in Missouri, just a transparency legislation to say, listen, uh, in the pigs right now, the farms that are using genetic vaccines, we want to label and then in the, uh, the beef. And attorney Tom Renz assisted Holly Jones. And it's interesting. They just wanted transparency legislation. And it turns out there's two major beef suppliers. One is the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Former president is uh, Brooke Miller, who's a doctor. Uh, Brooke and I have been on stage together. Uh, U.S. Cattlemen's, they wanted transparency. They wanted to say, listen, if genetics are in the beef, to put a label. And then the, uh, the National Cattlemen's and Beef Association was completely against transparency. And they lobbied along party lines. Interestingly, they came up, these two cattlemen associations came up in a battle in 2015 for a country of origin labeling. And again, the, the good guys wanted to just have a label. Where did the beef come from? And the bad guys wanted complete transparency. So it turns out the, the bad guys likely are, you know, get funding from Gates Foundation, the Chinese and others. And just so people know, the beef supply largely in the United States comes from America, Canada, Brazil, and then the unknown uh, 
piece to this is China. Man, just, there's so many things that I would love. Just the plant vaccines. We talked about that a lot. There's so much there, but I, I want to make sure I focus on the point of today. But man, we should reconnect on that in general because there's probably been, I've been saying something about that since the beginning of all this. The Pfizer's own research talked about them, you know, in, in both ways, both internally and externally, like packing your cells to be the creators of drugs, but also the, the you know, outside the world. It's just so alarming. But so all, taking all that in because that is important in the same conversation. So we've talked about autism in general and how that's an overlap. There's a correlation there with the gender dysphoria conversation. But then we've taken a step back, taken a step back and discussed what could be causing that. We can combine this with the discussion of other things we know in the, atmosphere, in the environment, glyphosate, dioxins, PFAS, all endocrine disrupting chemicals. So what's your thought on that bigger topic in regard to causing gender dysphoria? And how much do you think that is what we're seeing today? You know, I can't possibly know. I'm an epidemiologist, uh, you know, trained in studying the distribution and determinants of disease, particularly a chronic disease like autism. But boy, we should have a Manhattan project to see if there's any leads. Um, I've summarized them so far, hypervaccination, mm -hmm. uh, potential, potentially specific vaccines like rubella, hypervitaminosis A, vitamin A uh, has been brought up just, you know, too high of a dose. Um and then uh, as we approach puberty, I think it's very plausible that hormones mm -hmm. in the food supply could be influencing things. And um, well, taking uh, just the vaccine itself, what to what degree do you think that might be playing a factor? Let's take it one like so the COVID-19 injection, the, the varying mRNA versions. Do you think there's a connection there with with the like? So would you consider the vaccine itself or the chemicals in it an endocrine disrupting chemical? Would it be in that category for you? Oh, good point. So just the COVID-19 vaccine. And so the uptake in children approaching puberty, uh, I guess, potentially could play a role there. We know in a study by Gat and colleagues and a second one by Hong, the Chinese, that on the male side, the vaccine clearly drops sperm motility and count. And, and, and but the mechanism it may do that is actually by dropping testosterone levels. That's very important because there, so there is testicular toxicity. Um, uh, and it lasts for about six months and then, and then it comes back and then another shot, it, it's going to be depressed again. Now on the, uh, the female side, what we know there is a, a giant project called the EVA project clearly showed COVID-19 vaccination disrupts menstruation 78% of the time. I mean, it's, it really disrupts ovarian function and uterine function for sure. Multiple studies show that and anything that can influence the ovarian cycle is going to influence puberty in some way. So uh, I think you're right. Widespread use of COVID-19 vaccines could be playing into uh, disruptions as the, the kids approach puberty and go through puberty. Any disruption in the normal process, by definition, is going to lead some to have gender dysphoria, right? It makes sense. There's enough gender ambiguity with normal puberty. Now add in these other right. factors particularly COVID-19 shots, uh, it, it then starts to up the ante. So I think that's a good integrative framework. There's a variety of things going on. None of them are good. And it's going to lead some kids to a pathway of not being happy with their gender. And, and they could be suggestible. And if a counselor right. or another person in authority in their circles suggests they change their gender, they could start a gender journey and be strongly encouraged to do so. Some countries, Christian, the the, the parents would be criminalized to stop it. Uh, and, and that would be in Canada, for instance, some states in the United States. 
It's just so disconcerting. Well, I guess we can finish. Well, I, I'd like to actually show you this real quickly for people on the show, the, to, to, or the interview to see that there is scientific literature backing up the overlap directly with endocrine disrupting chemicals and leading like specifically to experiencing gender dysphoria. So it's not even up for debate, scientifically speaking, that these things are happening. So the question becomes, is that all of what's happening, some of what's happening, or is it being abused? Is it being ignored? You know, this is what I find most important. And one thing, I don't know if you've, I was recently just talking about this. If you've seen that there are people from within the World Professional Association, oops, didn't mean to hit that, for uh, gen transgender health. And both the president-elect as well as people that work there have even resigned their posts because they think that the people are being sloppy with treatments given to kids. Like, so this is coming from the Associated Press in regard to the people that work at one of the leading clinics. And yet we're at a point now where it's considered like we're not allowed to point this stuff out, right? So I wanted your thoughts on, so we, we've kind of made it clear that there's an overlap here. You, yeah. you've, done, you've done a lot of work. I was recently showing your Substack post about the surgeries, the, yeah. the, the, the puberty blockers. So can you speak to that for me and, and where the risks yeah, are? It's true. So the determinants of gender dysphoria are pretty clearly autism uh, and, and other environmental factors um, that, that likely come in through our diet, food or water supply. And I think you've, You've, you're starting to hit on those. We clearly need more. It's something, obviously, that's a big change from childhood 50 years ago or 60 years ago, a huge change. Now, the what's in the minds of doctors? And I can tell you, I'm a leading doctor in the United States. I'm the most published person in my field in the world of history. I've been a leader in COVID. Under no conditions would I ever consider a, a gender change surgery on a normal child, ever. I would never consider puberty blockers at the pituitary level or, or direct uh, uh, androgens, estrogens. Never. Well, you never. Say, you say, on a, uh, would you consider puberty blockers appropriate for any child? No, never. Yeah, because yeah, I took a Hippocratic oath to above all, do no harm. I've reviewed the literature. You know, everything I've just mentioned does great harm. Right. And, and I, you know, and I took an oath to fight disease. And this is not the appropriate way to fight disease. If there's autism, gender dysphoria, um, various contaminants in the food, there's other ways of dealing with that, uh, but not to, not to you know, permanently change these uh, children. This is uh, what we know on the surgeries. The, the surgeries are, are, are striking. Probably the least harmful is for a boy to get breast implants. And I think any adult man who wants to get breast implants and dress up like a girl, that they're entitled to do that. I think they should pay for it themselves. We should take it out of the Affordable Care Act right now in the United States. You know, we're paying for the breast implants for these men. And if they want to do that, uh, you know, that's their own decision. Now, once we get to children, what's going on there is not only the breast implants in the boys, but they're having penile inversion vaginoplasty. This is a brutal surgery where the penis is filleted open it's cored out and then it's inverted to make a rudimentary uh, vagina up in a man's pelvis, which isn't meant to actually have a vagina there. Uh, it's fraught with complications. The testicles are removed. Uh, you know, there's no return from this surgery. It doesn't even work well as a rudimentary vagina. Uh, on the girl's side, uh, there is phalloplasty. That is the creation of a penis taking a big chunk out of the leg or the arm uh, trying to route the urine through it. It doesn't work. Burying the base of the, the clitoris, uh, the, the, the rudimentary penis, you know, can't have any real sexual function. 
And, uh, and then what's even worse is probably is called metidioplasty, something to try to make the clitoris get larger, gets about as big as a cocktail weenie. Uh, again, can't, can't do anything. The urine flow is, is disrupted. In a recent paper of people having these surgeries, every single one of them is complicated, multiple complications, revisions, they're sterilizing surgeries. Um, uh, th- this is just horrific. If you scroll down, you can see the, uh, you, you know, the, the pictures of these uh, surgeries, Christian. Yeah, anybody wants that, we, maybe we'll do it for, you know, this is viewer discussion advice. Right, let's say that beforehand. So I'm going to scroll down. I was like, I did this on my show as well. There's some pretty graphic images. So if there are children watching, make sure that we're about to scroll down. I do think it's important though. Both both the numbers, which actually really blow my mind, what stood uh, out to me was, oh, go ahead, you want to comment yeah, 129, on I believe it was 129, uh, women, this is for the creation of the penis, uh, 281 complications and 142 revisions. I mean, this is a failed surgery. I, right. I, as a doctor, I would never consider this surgery. This surgery is is a bust. What the, the mental health point really stood out to me, 20%, yeah. which, I mean, the whole point of what, what the argument about some of this is that it well, pre- predominantly is about helping their mental health because they say it's a disorder, at least from the the medical side, as they're all saying that's not the case, but it gets worse in 20% of the cases. Yeah, right. That's failed in any scientific metric or medical. Right. And, and actually, there are broader studies. The whole transgender clinical program worsens the psychiatric burden of disease uh, a paper by Jackson and colleagues from the UK shows it increases all-cause mortality, suicide, homicide, death from other causes. Uh, it, it's 80% of the time it's sterilizing. Uh, it, you know, this is, uh, this is bad medicine. And, it, you know, no doctor should be doing this. this. The states should not have to have laws to shut it down because medicine shouldn't do this. You know, the doctors are doing it in Russia and Putin is trying to shut it down in Russia. They're trying to shut it down in Indonesia. It's occurring organically all over the world. United States, by the way, is not the leader here. The leader is the Netherlands and elsewhere. United States is following some type of world lead here. It's very disturbing. That's an important point to think about, too, for those that always tend to kind of focus on like the U.S. as the boogeyman. I think that we can see the, the global agenda playing out really strongly right now. I think that's important. Well, the, the last thing I want to you know, kind of just put a fine point on is that what we just discussed in a general sense, I would agree. I think that there's nothing, I wouldn't even call this bad medicine. I wouldn't call this medicine. I think this is something that's so off the beaten path. It, there's something, it, it doesn't make scientific sense. There's a lot of things that just gets, you know, kind of just paved right over. But when it comes to the children in particular, how do you make sense of this? How do we make sense of something where we have no long-term studies, right? I mean, I, I know it's just your opinion, but I mean, from as a, as a doctor, how do you explain this? Just like we saw with the COVID-19 thing, like how are people not speaking up about this when we know that they're like, as, as I just showed you, the Associated Press, Reuters, they say themselves that they have bone problems, infertility issues. We don't have long term studies. At what point did this even get allowed at some level? I don't understand this. In 2021, the American Medical Association said we should no longer put gender on the birth certificate. Hmm. Where did that come from? You know, there's there's board exam questions now. Where, where for gender dysphoria in a prepubertal child, the correct answer is to start puberty blockers. It's in doctor's board exams. So somehow the orthodoxy in medicine swang, swang right into this uh, without any discussion. Every academic medical center is, is either has gender change surgeries or is going to uh, do them, have programs. Uh, this has now been quickly 
become part of mainstream medicine all over the world at the same time. One can't explain this. You know, with COVID, you could say, okay, it's a virus. It spread all over the world. Everyone was scared. Uh, The pandemic response had all these shortcomings. Uh, And there was... um, there was liability protection in the United States through the uh, through the CARES Act and the PrEP Act. Here, this this tsunami of transgenderism is not under any type of health emergency. Right. So there's not going to be any immunity here. So you know, I can tell you, I just I'll talk to the doctors right now. The doctors doing this. If there's even an ounce of regret in any child or family, watch out. The mm-hmm. liability is going to be through the roof because the the changes are lifelong. It's already coming. The attorneys are sharpening their pens right now. Mm -hmm. They are getting ready for a tsunami of litigation. These doctors are going to have nothing to stand on because experts like me are going to say, listen, this violates good medicine, violates uh, the community. Standard of care is to let a child go through natural puberty. If they need cognitive behavioral therapy, get therapy. But the answer for a psychological condition is not hormones and mutilating surgery. It can't be. Right. No reasonable jury is going gonna, is gonna to believe it. Well, and on top of that, what we were showing in the Associated Press article is that the president-elect of the leading group is telling you that in some cases, people are being sloppy. They're not yeah. letting children, they, some children who just might be questioning gender or otherwise being driven to transgender puberty blockers. They And so there's obviously a problem there. So again, on, on the children's side of this, you know, why do you have an opinion on why there seems to be an, a focus almost from the industry of this on, on children? That's just my personal opinion. But do you have it a seems to be an indoctrination in the very early age with these drag queen shows, the mm-hmm. the profuse, uh, you know, pouring in of pornography in schools is coming in through the publishers. Mm-hmm. The teachers, I, I asked teachers about this. I said, where's it coming from? They wouldn't even know. They open up the boxes and they're just loaded with books, pornographic books. They're starting sex clubs in elementary school for kids after school to learn various uh, uh, sexual acts. Uh, there's some type of uh, distorted perversion that's spreading from mind to mind right now. It, it, it's like a, it's like an infectious disease. It's more infectious than COVID. It's a distorted, hypersexual, perverted thought pattern that's basically uh, enveloping the world. That's terrifying. Well, I mean, what's what what is a positive note here is that there are people like you and others out there that are speaking up as as during COVID and saying there's something wrong here. And quite frankly, I do think that I think more people see this than we realize like other topics. But right now we're in the middle of the fervor of this political topic. And so people just like with COVID are terrified to speak up. But it's time people found their courage because this is not okay, And this this really does kind of put me off, you know, in a very like I this is when it comes to the children, there's something that I just can't wrap my mind around. So do you have any other important thoughts to include in all this? And, and what No, you, you covered it. And, and I congratulate you on your scholarship and these other environmental exposures, even considering the COVID vaccine. Uh, obviously, there's been some dramatic change in the last few years and this explosion. But to see our president replace the American flag as a center flag, uh, you know, in the Capitol with, with the gay pride flag, to see naked breasts and, and wide open uh, nudity and, and 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 lewdness and debauchery on the the grounds of the White House. Uh, we've lost all dignity, all decorum. Uh, we seem to be in some type of 
moral freefall right now. And, and it's all over the world, Christian. That's the thing. It's worldwide and simultaneous. People are, people are just trying to get their moorings and figure out what to do. Right. Right. Well, I think this is important. And I think that people need to take a step back if they're in that position and really ask themselves what they think they care about, what matters. And I think you'll quickly see that there's something wrong here at the very least. So thank you for coming on and talking about this. I know this, I, I'm, I'm still trying to find an endocrinologist as well and somebody who's willing to kind of, you know, specialize and talk about this. But I find it interesting that I've had such a hard time finding anybody that's willing to talk about it. And I think it's the fervor like we talked about. Yeah. But uh, well, thank you for being here again, Dr. Peter McCullough and everybody else. Please check out his work because he's doing outstanding stuff, the wellness company and, and everything else. And, you know, anything else you want to leave us with upcoming work? Social no, media. just make sure you check out my Substack, Courageous Discourse, one of the hottest Substacks around. I'm covering the transgender issue uh, w- with great assiduousness. Uh, make sure you check out my podcast, America Out Loud Talk Radio, McCullough Report. I'm interviewing probably the top child psychiatrist on an upcoming uh, episode, giving parents uh, some really some hard instructions of what they need to follow here to try to try to navigate their kids through this perilous time. My kids are all grown up right now, Christian. I got to tell you, I, I feel fortunate. They've kind of been through been through, I, I guess, a risk period. But I I really am uh, very empathetic to young parents right now with kids uh, trying to navigate through school right now. It's uh, every parent needs to be listening to the Last American Vagabond and and other independent sources of media. So thank you so much for having me on. Well, thank you. Yeah. And, and, and as that's important to think about guys is we need to find our way to maneuver this in the right way. So thank you for being here. And as always, everybody out there question everything, come to your own conclusions. Stay right. vigilant.